Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This episode is being recorded live from the E-Tail East Trade Show in Boston on Wednesday, August 21st, 2019. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and unfortunately, Scott was unable to join us today. So you're getting twice the Jason for half the usual price, um, which, as I understand it, is a bargain. Um, But to sweeten the pot, we have an awesome guest. Uh, Joining me on the podcast is uh, Perinda Mooley. And am I saying your name right, Perinda? Mulay. Mulay. Thank you very much. Um, she's the VP of Innovation and Business Development at Macy's. Uh, Perinda just finished a keynote panel discussion uh, entitled uh, Fostering Innovation, Rethinking the Omnichannel Organization Today. Uh, Perinda, uh, thanks very much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, we, we are thrilled to have you. Um, you have a slightly unusual title to me, um, and I mean that in an exciting way. What does a VP of Innovation and Business Development do for someone like Macy's? Yeah, so the whole team is fairly new to Macy's. Um, this group is about two years old, and I think it was when retail is really focused on how do we continue to drive change in an organization from the inside, and I think that was when about two years ago when they were looking to establish a team that was focused on innovation and what's new, what's next, which is one of our um, pillars. And so I think establishing this group was really around focusing on new business models, new initiatives, how do we solve for our custo- for tomorrow's customer, and where are opportunities that we can continue to play in, um, gain share in, define new share in, and play it with an authentic voice. Uh, that sounds fabulous. And I want to dig into that a little bit, but before we do um – what sort of background do you have to have to get a role like that? Can you talk a little bit yeah. about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm very new to retail. I have been in the business development innovation function for a very long time, but mostly within the media sector. Um, I came from Time Inc., um, where I served as sort of a business development lead, um, mostly on the digital side. Prior to that, I was with MSNBC and then with a startup before that and consulting before that, but all really in the media space. And so I think I spent a lot of time focusing on um, driving new revenue streams for companies and how do you start relying less on the core and sort of innovating in the new. So the function and the, you know, sort of shift to retail um, was actually not that big of a jump um, after I did it. It felt a little daunting initially, but it was the same problem, different industry. And I think, you know, I there's a running joke in my family that you move from one struggling industry to another. But I think that's what's so exciting is that there's so much opportunity to um, to reinvent and change and at sort of the perfect time to do that um, and the perfect role to be in to help um, sort of guide that. Well, I'm super excited to have met you because I feel like I have a bunch of industries I can recommend for you <laughs> to help you follow your career, What's next? <laughs> your, your career trajectory. Have you thought about the buggy whip at all? <laughs> have you... Uh, no, no, no. I, uh, I, I tease. Uh, I have to be honest. Uh, you give me hope. I feel like the, the new trend on the show is all the guests are reformed consultants. So funny. And as a current practicing consultant, I like to see that there's a chance for me to redeem myself at some point. So, <laughs> so thank you for setting a good example. Um, question about innovation, because it comes up a lot in retail. Uh, in my mind, there's there's two opposing philosophies. Uh, you you meet a lot of retailers that have set up these dedicated innovation functions, and I'll call it the ivory tower approach. Like, hey, 
protect these people that just focus on innovation, don't distract them um, with the day-to-day rigors of the organization, you know, and the the normal profitability KPIs and let them really focus on innovative stuff and, you know, ideally hire an interdisciplinary team that have a lot of complementary capabilities. Um, And on the other end of that extreme is – Gosh, for innovation to be valuable, it really has to uh, be grounded in the organization's, you know, core problems. And we really ought to develop uh, innovation organically from the company's practitioners. Um, and I like, I suspect the answer is somewhere in between. But, like, how, how do you guys think about innovation at Macy's? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a great question. And when we started, it was probably um, the former in terms of what you described. We were working very much in isolation, and we were able to do big things. We launched very big concepts. We spent a lot of time studying that space, and we were able to do it with our own budget, our own team, and we went and, and, and did stuff. I think while that was exciting, I don't think the rest of the organization is is on board completely because you're working um, so much in isolation. Sort of version two was, well, let's kind of come more towards the middle, um, but we probably swung a little bit too much, and we started doing a bunch of tests and uh, and, and more smaller impact, but it, wasn't, it also wasn't the right solution. So we're now swinging a little bit in version three of this, swinging a little bit more to the left. I don't think there's a perfect answer. I do believe that you need a dedicated team that's focused on this day in and day out because it doesn't, otherwise it's not top of mind. There's still, a, obviously, we have to keep the ship afloat, and so focusing on the core and making sure we're delivering for holiday. And that's that's very important. It's always going to be important. But how do you balance that with making sure we're solving for tomorrow? And I think there's a bridge in between. But you do have to infuse that mindset and bring your stakeholders in earlier um, and get them on board earlier because I think that's the only way that you can have the greatest impact is getting more people aligned to the vision and the way that we're, that we're working. Yeah. No, I think it's a universal retail conundrum that – Revenue is always urgent and innovation is always important. And if totally. one human being is left to prioritize between urgent and important, unfortunately, importance always going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So can we talk about a couple of the cool examples of, yeah. of things that have come out of your department? Um, Absolutely. So. Um, I think one of the ones that I'm very that I was very excited about was you know we'd been studying as most other retails had been this growth in um, direct to consumer brands or these digitally native brands and um, there was a flood of them and I think what was exciting to see was a lot of them were manifesting into physical spaces and they were using their physical space and wanted to be in physical space to to get to the customer to allow the customer to touch and feel their products in a different way and so as we were kind of studying that and started talking to more of these digital brands. Um, we recognized that they were struggling with finding the right real estate. It was expensive to find the right real estate. Then they had to figure out a way to garner the audience to come to them. So they were spending a lot on marketing activations and 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 getting customers to come to them. Um, they also were struggling. It's running a store when you're kind of doing these pop-ups and um, having the right teams in place to operationalize the space was also challenging. So that was pu- putting Macy's in the perfect position to say, we have – um, real estate everywhere, best in class. We have um, operations and logistics is what we do. That's our bread and butter. Um, and we are able to, um, so we have staff, we can we can put a lot of resources against these guys and we can give, we can give them space that's um, economically viable for them. And they're going into space where there's cus- inherent customer traffic. And so I think being able to take that to some of these um, brands and actually really quantify, they're spending three 
four, five X more on a weekend pop-up versus being in our space for a month in, in, in with the same value proposition. And I think that opened up a really interesting opportunity for us to say, could we create um, retail as a service? And it was a mind, a mind shift uh, for the company because we're such a sales-heavy organization. That's sort of our, our, our core. And now we're saying, you know what, let's Sales is secondary here. Let's try to create this package, or this bundled package for these digital brands where they can come in in a very flexible model. So if they want to come in for a month, they can come in for a month. If they want to come in for six months, they can come in for six months. They can take 100 square feet. They can take 500 square feet. It's really up to them on what works best for them. But now we're giving them a way to um, literally just all that we need is their inventory and we will staff it. We will educate our staff on their products. We ask for a lot of what differentiates their products so that we can speak to it in the right way. Um, and, you know, the first version of when we launched this, we launched it in 10 doors when we started and we didn't market it at all. And it was called the market at Macy's. And we really just used our internal team of four or five to just go out to our own connections and see if there was interest and and demand for coming into our space. And what was really fascinating was me, again, I'm coming from the media space. So I didn't have a ton of retail connections. And all of a sudden I started hearing that media companies were interested in coming and testing. Sony Pictures came in to say, actually, we know your customers watch movies. We'd love to activate a trailer in your space. Downey came in to say, I know your customers buy detergent, but I don't get the same um, visibility in your stores as I do in, you know, or the visibility that I get in CPG or Targets is one of many versus no one else is in your space and I can tell a different narrative. And so we started getting a lot of different types of companies wanting to come in, in addition to the digitally native brands to say, this is great for us. I can now be in five locations and not just one because I physically don't have to be there. And so it was really kind of flipping the lid on on the business model and saying, we think there's still a profitable model here, um, which is what I sort of live by. I don't want to just launch for the sake of launching. So there's a, there's a compelling business model around it, but there's value to the brands that are coming in. And it was just a, a happy medium to say, let's test. And um, since then, we've launched in two more doors. And once things are sort of baked and we have an initial model, that's when we like to push it back into the business. And so at the same time, we had acquired Story. And so Rachel Sheckman leads our brand experience. And it made sense, a ton of sense for the market at Macy's to live um, in that world. So now she is um, she's managing it. Oh, very cool. Um, so, like, I clearly see the value to these brands. They're getting access to, like, the enormous foot traffic that you guys have. And I would assume uh, it's a nice surprise and delight moment for the Macy shopper. Absolutely. And that's what we wanted to make sure, you know, when you th- go back to our sort of inherent, what are we solving for? It's this freshness, discoverability, being able to, um, what you see today might not be here tomorrow. And, and that sort of, you know, surprise and delight was really important for us to continue to make sure that we have a way to showcase these. It was also a really great way for Macy's to test brands, to say, now we have an ecosystem that um, allows us to see what's our customer's appetite for some of the stuff they're seeing. And then could we actually move it into a larger relation, partner relationship? Um, and that's happened within a couple of cases. And so it's been really an interesting sort of way to test and learn for us as well. I think the other compelling piece of this was, you know, I think there's an expectation with digital brands to, in terms of the metrics that they get and the data that they have at their fingertips when they're online. And how do we make sure we deliver that in store? And so we outfitted each of these spaces with with cameras that allowed us to measure in customer engagement, allowed the brands to access in real time who's spending time with their product, what's the dwell time in that space, what's dwell to conversion. And again, giving them that data allowed them to A-B test in a, in a real time in a physical store in a way that they couldn't do before. Yeah, which is totally awesome. Uh, 
Now, I'm imagining that the relationship those brands have with Macy's is also somewhat unique and that it's not the traditional wholesale model where they're just selling you goods and you're setting the price um, and you're merchandising them. Right. And the, they're, I'm assuming they're sort of renting space from you. Exactly. It is a, it's a retail as a service. So it's a service offering. We are, they keep 100% of their sales. Um, and that's what we had to sort of change the mindset. So it's not about the sales for us. It's about giving our customers the right experience with new brands. It's allowing activations to happen in our space and it's allowing brands to tell the narrative that they want to do in a physical in a physical store and i think that um that new proposition is what sort of was very different from macy's but it also was very compelling to brands because now they are um allowed to come into a space where they can keep 100% of what they Sure, do. sure. Uh, and one of the things I personally like about your execution, uh, so this is becoming some, sort of a popular trend, and I, I won't uh, put you on the spot by asking you to comment on others' ex- execution, but there's a, a lot of sort of um, retail-as-a-service targeting these digital native brands. So I think of like the neighborhood goods or show fields or mm-hmm. four corners. Um, and wow – the assortment and the product selection in those stores can be really interesting in a similar way to uh, market at Macy's. Um, the retail execution is actually very traditional. Like here's a shelf, put your stuff on the shelf, figure out how to do some static merchandising, um, and we have some salespeople. Um, and uh, the the uh, market at Macy's execution has those components, but then there is also um, some digital storytelling for every product, and there are these richer analytics. And, you know, a lot of these products that tend to make it in the marketplace feel like products that require some demonstration or video storytelling, or, or they, they benefit from this more digitally enabled shopping experience than simply like sitting in a box on a shelf. Absolutely. And I think that's what um, was what we were trying to achieve. It's it's first understanding what's what's your goal, like talking to these brands and saying, what are you trying to get out of this experience? Are you testing right now? Are you trying to understand what what demos re- resonate with your product? Are you are you just focused on sales? Are you trying to do a marketing activation? And I think we could help tailor that for them because it's really about their experience and we want them to be successful in the in whatever they're showcasing because that will prompt them to want to come back. And I think, you know, for us, the, if you looked at the market when we launched it, it was very plain vanilla. I mean, it was not, we didn't focus a lot on the frills of what it looked like. It also wasn't overly curated. It was a little bit like a, a market, right? Yeah. And it was, you would see Ferrari next to a barbecue sauce. I mean, that was the reality of what we were showcasing. I think some of that has to change. And we are, as we're sort of in the next version of it, it's now, well, how do we elevate the space? How do we make it stand out from an experience perspective? It makes a lot of sense to live in Rachel's world because she does that so well. And so I think it's, that's the next version that needs, that will come out. But I think it's a, it's a little bit about us making sure that we're delivering what, and managing the expectations of what these brands want out of the experience. Uh, for sure. That's going to be fun to see um, how that evolves. Uh, we, we certainly have been following her stuff. Um, the uh, So that that's a great success. I like that story. Uh, what else have you done? So I think um, one of the other ones, well, I'll, I'll, one comment that I'll add about yeah. the market is I think what, what was really interesting from a business development innovation perspective is, you know, we're very limited with how many brands we can onboard. And there's a technology, you know, just from a technology perspective, we're like, how are we going to flip these brands so quickly? And I think that was when um, we were started looking at the market to say, is there a way that we can onboard ba- brands and manage the entire brand experience from a technology perspective? Beta at the time was doing the same thing in the 
te- the technology space. And Beta actually came into Macy's as a shop and shop. And we started having more dialogue around, we share a very similar philosophy. How do we sort of work together in launching the market at Macy's? So we invested in Beta um, and they became the platform that sort of is the operations behind the market at Macy's to make sure that we could scale this in the right way. And I think that was um, a really great partnership um, to bring to life because it was say, you know, it was our company saying we recognize that we have limitations in our own technology. Let's bring in the right partner to make sure that we can operationalize this um, in the way that we need to. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, so Vibu, one of the founders mm-hmm. of Beta, has been on the show, and we have this um, good-natured ribbing. Uh, so uh, I was one of many people that Vibu talked to early on when he was thinking about this concept, uh, and I told them I thought it was a super interesting concept, and I said I think it's particularly interesting as an enabling technology that could be leveraged inside of traditional retail stores. And I'm like, oh, and by the way, that probably is your exit strategy, right? And at that time, he was very focused on, we're going to be way better than traditional retail. We're going to put all the traditional retail out of business, and this is the new model. We're for sure not going to want to partner with any of these, right? So in my mind, Mm -hmm. I gave him some sound advice he wasn't ready to hear, and now he's very successfully following. So I I like have this um, sense of satisfaction. He remembers the conversation slightly different, <laughs> and he, he remembers some other suggestions I gave him when he was asking for other business models to pot- potentially pursue, and he thought one of them was particularly wacky. So he tells everyone this wacky advice I gave him, and I, I tell everyone this, this mm-hmm. you know savvy business model advice I gave him, um, and I suspect the truth is somewhere in between. Um, but we, I digress. So, so awesome story. Uh, certainly uh, been following the beta concept closely, and, and uh, it seems like the collaboration with you guys has been particularly interesting. Um, but we were going to pivot to another win. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, I think the way that the BD team really starts and thinks about um, any initiative is um, where's our customer spending their time, their share of wallet, their energy, and do we have the authority to play in that space? And if we do, what are we bringing to the table? And I think that's the piece that a lot of other retailers forget is, just because we're an older company and we're trying to innovate in tr- in, from the inside, how do you balance tradition with disruption? And I think it's really interesting to see that we have such valuable and rich assets that sometimes need to just be reutilized in a more creative way. And so one of the other initiatives that we launched, which I'm um, super excited about, is something that we're calling Macy's Style Crew. And essentially it was saying, we have 130,000 employees. Can we actually make them um, and sort of sellers of our brand in a completely new way. We had been following video commerce uh, as well, and we'd been studying that space. A lot of players were coming into that space. We're following the influencer world and kind of seeing what's happening in that space. And we're saying, can we kind of merge the two and create something new that allows us to um, activate video commerce in a new way, but use our own assets to do it? And so what we did is we started with a pilot of 20 colleagues across the company. So you had engineers and developers, you had accounting people, you had a lot of people in the stores and said, let's just start with these 20 and let's give them the tools to create content, uh, any content that they want that somehow talks about their Macy story. So it could be a walk down the street and they're showcasing what they're wearing. It could be, we had one person that does animated stories and, and somehow incorporates products. But what we wanted to make sure is that they had the tools to tag products and put them in their videos. And we said, let's just, just share them to your own network. We're not even going to put them on Macy's anywhere. That's one of the biggest challenges. We wanted to take down the guardrails. We couldn't fully take them down, but we said, you know what, let's test it in a small way. Just share it with your own network and let's see what happens. Our numbers were 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 pretty outstanding. And we and what we did is we've said 
everything that you sell, we kind of baked them into the reward. So there's an incentive to sell and, and, and commissions. And what was, what was fascinating is a lot of them didn't care about that. A lot of them just wanted a, a platform to, to um, expose their voice, to create their followings or to add to their followings. Um, we are now close to almost 5,000 um, employees, and it's just unlocked so much for us in terms of now having sort of a geographically relevant marketing tool that we can, um, that we can use at a moment's notice in real time. So if you get a really warm day in the middle of December in Chicago, you could actually talk about shorts and you don't have to activate this big campaign, but you could do it in real time with this, um, with the Macy style crew. And it's been really fun to see the type of people that are interested in being in this. It's unlocked a vi- like a new love for the brand. And, you know, people are talking about you good and bad all the time. So why not give them a forum to talk about your brand in a new creative way? And it's been exciting to create this community, um, which is essentially what we've done um, to, to showcase new brands that they love. It's also been really interesting because we've been hearing from the vendor community to say, hey, this is interesting. Can we participate in this? Can we have Macy Style Crew talk about our brands? We haven't activated that in a, a, a formalized way yet, but we certainly can. And we can, we did a test with Clinique and we, it was an opt-in program and, and, you know, it allows our, our, our colleagues to be able to genuinely talk about products the way that they like it. And it gives real content for some of these brands to use. And so you can imagine where we can go with this if we can scale to not only our employees and our colleagues, but then our best customers, it can be a loyalty play. And there's a lot, I think, um, that's, uh, that this program could enable down the road. And um, we, again, as a BD team, we've built it, and now it's living in our marketing world. Yeah, which is awesome. I love Style Crew. Um, it's funny because, like, when we talk about influencer marketing a lot, first of all, like, a lot of people's mind goes to these mega influ- – the Kardashians of the world. And to me, that's mass marketing, mm-hmm. right? Like, people understand that she's hawking product yeah. that she's paid to. And so, like, that can be a good reach play for some opportunities. Uh, but I'm really excited about the micro influencer space in the, these more um, uh, much narrower markets, but much more authentic um, advocacy for products. And the huge challenge with micro influencers is scaling them, mm-hmm. right? That to get a reach that's meaningful for Macy's, you know, it's very hard to go scraping YouTube to find thousands of people like in a particular genre that each have. I don't know, you know, 10,000 followers or something like that. Um, So turning inside and saying, hey, we have all these brand loyalists that like chose to work in our store instead of some other retail store because they already have an affinity and gravitated to a particular department. Like it it feels like uh, the perfect audience to evangelize as influencers. Um, And it's crazy. Uh, I've, I've done some shopping in China and you go to like these luxury experiences in China and you meet these super high touch sales associates that might have a hundred thousand followers on WeChat. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you go, Oh my God, there's like so much power here. So I I feel like that's a super exciting, um, initiative. I'm, I'm eager to see how it played, uh, two questions. So, uh, in my experience, when you, when you have a, you know, when you come into the office and say, Hey, we have an idea, we're going to empower a bunch of our in-store associates to start publishing content. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some institutional inertia, the, the typical corporate antibodies start flowing and like, God forbid, there's a lawyer on your, uh, innovation team. Um, 
it it can be very hard for an organization to accept that. Was that the case at Macy's or was Absolutely. I mean, I think we're a public company, so we have to be smart about the stuff that we launch and we have to be um, strategic. And I think there was there's always red tape that we have to go through um, legally, even using initially we had the idea of could we leverage Macy's handles to showcase some of this. And that was, you know, we said no. And, and, and I understood it. It said we don't know the type of content that's being created. And so, okay, well, then let's pivot around that. And so it hasn't prevented us from doing things, but it absolutely is something that we have to overcome. Now that we've launched a few initiatives, I think building the credibility internally has um, made it easier for um, even our legal team to get behind some of this stuff and say, okay, well, let's let's focus on the, the stuff that we think are really showstoppers and and we could talk about the rest or we can, you know, we can, we can figure out the rest. And I think there's just more openness and there has been a little bit of a shift in mindset internally to say, we can get on board with this or we can figure out, let's t- test it in a smaller way, but Let's test it. And sure. I think the appetite for doing more has been um, has been incredible this past year. That's awesome. And I always like to remind people, like, all of these dialogues and content are already happening. Like, it's not like they're not happening because you don't put some guide rails around it and structure it. And so, right. like, often having these programs gives you an opportunity to put the appropriate guide rails on it and amplify it. But it's not like it's there aren't Macy's employees with social media <laughs> accounts right. creating content anyway. Right. Um, so then the other challenge is uh, there's some new technology enablement that you mm-hmm. would need. Like, did in an organization like Macy's, uh, do you go out and find a like startup partner that's interested in that same experience and kind of leverage their their tools, or do you build tools from scratch? Or so what do it's you do? always a conversation. So kind of going back to the sort of the process that we'll use of. Where's our customer spending their time, their energies, their share of wallet? Do we have the authority to play in that space? If we do, what's the business model around it and what's the value we're bringing? And then it's saying, okay, well, do we need to build this internally or do we partner with someone to help accelerate or to enable something that we don't have or to build credibility even? If it's a white space opportunity that we're not in, do we need to partner with the right right company to help drive some of that credibility in that space. And so our 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 team is very external focused, so we are keeping a pulse on what's out there, who's out there, who's doing what, but we'll never start with the technology. We're really starting with the concept and the initiative and then saying um is there a partner that would help um drive this forward? And that's sort of how the beta partnership came about. Um we're partnered with a company called TV Page on um for Macy Style Crew that's uh, a very small company based out of San Diego initially, but they um were allowed they were able to customize a lot of the program for us which helped us because there are a lot of video commerce tools out there but a lot of them are geared for marketing teams and we want to put this this tool in front of the the user that's not necessarily as sophisticated as a marketing team and so how do we wanted to make sure that it was seamless it was easy to use and so there was a lot of custom work that was required so it's a little bit of a bridge but when you find the right partner who's willing to customize for you um, it makes it a lot easier that's awesome, and I, I particularly like uh, digital shopping vendors emerging in San Diego. I, I grew up there, and so I feel like I need, a, I need a retirement <laughs> opportunity. Like there need to be some <laughs> some vibrant companies I can work with in San Diego one day. Um, so those are two terrific examples. I'm super excited about. Uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say like that. Not every idea turns into a. Uh, that kind of sort of public facing success. Like, are there any examples of of either learnings Macy's had from trying things that maybe like weren't valuable to the customer, or 
or even just like general pitfalls you think about in innovation? Yeah, I mean, I think there's um, there's always ones that we will go after that, um, you know, that need. We launched a wine club early in our days. I mean, wine is something that people surprisingly search a lot for on our sites. And it's not it's a very litigious space. And it, we couldn't figure out a way. We actually have a lot of liquor licenses, but we can't activate in all of our stores in the right way. So like, how do we get around this problem? And how do we solve for what people are asking for? And so we said, what if we launched a wine club as opposed to actually selling wine in our stores? And so I think um, that was a really interesting test. We found, again, a re- the right partner that has the distribution and all of the um, the rights in all of our, all the states to be able to service that. Um, and we launched it. And I think it launched successfully. But at the end of the day, it was a really it was a marketing ploy. And if you don't have the right marketing tactics in place, you're not going to be able to get it to the right consumers. And consistently, it's it's a club. So now you're thinking subscription, recurring revenue, and all of that. So I think that one is one that it's still alive and it's still good. But we have to do a lot of work to continue to revamp. Like how are we getting this in front of our customers in the right way? And I don't think it's perfect yet. Yeah, I do have it on good authority that Hal Otten is one of the highest uh, volume users of the wine club. <laughs> but I'm just saying. Uh, don't ask me how I know that, but just uh, just saying. And when you you referenced uh, Macy's having a lot of liquor licenses, that's predominantly on prem for your food service and whatnot. Absolutely, right? and yeah. we run a very big food. Co- food oh group. yeah, you know it's people don't look at us as a food destination. But um, I think that's another one that's a really challenging one that's been on my radar um, in terms of engagement. When you think about where do customers spend their time and their their energy, a lot of times it's associated with food. And so how do we play in food in a less traditional way? Because food is a very infrastructure-heavy offering. And so and the, the price points are very low. So mer- the business model around food is not always great. And so can we activate food in an interesting way that's less infrastructure-heavy, but we can think about ways to um, engage the customer. Is it prepackaged? Is it is it things that we could? Is it Instagrammable moments that we have to share around food? And and how do we continually conceptualize around that? We haven't landed um, a great answer to that yet, but we're working very closely with our food team to say how do we make sure we can bring food to more locations because we know that a. a just one coffee, offering coffee in our stores, the amount of radiated sales that it drives is pretty significant. And so how do we activate that in more locations? Yeah, no, I'm certainly very grateful to your food team. Uh, It's a cohort of one, uh, but I spend an awful lot of time doing store visits and I'm well known for having a significant (laughs) Starbucks problem. And so like in traditional retail, I had to always like uh, visit a Bass Pro Shop or a Macy's in the middle of my day because uh, I could rely on that that Starbucks fix. Absolutely, I've been doing a lot of work in grocery lately, and that's like revolutionary for me because <laughs> they all they all have a Starbucks franchise. So um, that that is a, a totally fun um, and a, a, a great example of where there's maybe opportunities that people haven't and haven't totally food. figured out yet. Yeah, and there's so much disruption happening in the food space, everything from the delivery side to um, just innovation and food concepts as well. So I think there's just opportunity. Yeah, there. it's. I feel like uh, one of the things we've talked a little bit on about the show is as a result of digital disruption, in the old days, you had restaurants that mainly focused on on-prem consumption. You, you had uh, quick serve um, that mainly focused on these like utility-based uh, meal occasions and you had grocery that you you know focused on the at-home consumption and uh, digital has blurred the lines between all those concepts and so you now have people like using mobile order and pay to get fast casual food faster than they used to be able to get quick serve and you have grocery stores serving uh, ready to eat meals and doing home delivery and in like the good news 
their, their addressable market for all those concepts just wildly expanded. The bad news is the competitive set <laughs> for all those concepts wildly expanded at for the same sure. time. Yeah. For sure. Um, awesome. Well, uh, I could talk about this stuff all day, uh, but I, uh, given your, your role in innovation, I know you have to always be looking forward, and I'm, I'm always interested to uh, get other practitioners' POVs about where the market's going. Um, so if you were to put your sort of futurist hat on or jump in the, the hot tub time machine with me and come to Etel East – I know that was just a bad visual you didn't want. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I should have done the DeLorean. But everyone tells me when I do the Time Machine DeLorean that I'm dating myself. So I'm trying <laughs> to have more contemporary references. Uh, but I digress. Uh, 2025 e-tail, how has the shopping experience involved? Like like any any premise about, you know, sort of things that maybe aren't uh, typical today that will be common? Or what are yeah, you excited about? Yeah, I mean, I about? think um, – probably no surprises here, but I think the concept of personalization is increasingly important. Convenience is increasingly important. Um, I think connected experiences. So, you know, just what we were talking about in the panel um, this morning is really about making sure we are everywhere um, along the customer journey and making sure if she's on her phone, if she's at home, if she's in the store, we could deliver the same experience throughout and that's connected. I think that's a, a increasingly an important um, area. I also think what's exciting for me is just there's new places that our customers are hanging out or they're spending their time. When you think about it, they're in ride shares, they're in um, places that we are not there. And so can we be there? Do we have the authority to play in that space? And so I think there's a lot of more white space than there was before. I think our traditional competitors are no longer our only competitors. And I think that that um, the volume of where you could be it has increased. And I think that's just more uh, – it's more that we could be doing. And I think using our space, continuing to use our space differently. So I think there's going to be a lot more activations and experiences. I think that's um, something that our customer is asking for. And so how will the retail shopping experience – I don't think it's going away. I don't think physical is going away. But I think what they see in the store could be um, wildly different different. And so I think that's what's exciting about continuing to operate um, stores and having really prime real estate to say, how can we use this differently? And how do we start thinking about activating new things there? Yeah, awesome. Well, it sounds like that's some job security for you as well. (laughs) Um, And that's going to be a great place to leave it because it's happened again. We've used up all our uh, listeners allotted time. Uh, So if you're dying to continue the conversation, you can always uh, hit our Facebook page or uh, reach out to us on Twitter. Um, As always, this would be a great time to jump over to iTunes and finally give us that five-star review that you've been holding back. (laughs) Uh, But, Perinda, if folks want to find you online, do you live anywhere on the digital web? I mean, I do. I'm on LinkedIn. It's probably the easiest place to find me. Um, Perinda Moulet, it's uh, pretty straightforward. There's not a lot of Perindas out there. Um, But would be happy to— There's the exact right amount. (laughs) But uh, uh, pretty easy find. Awesome. Uh, so we'll put the, your LinkedIn uh, link in the show notes. And uh, thanks again for coming and spending some time with us today. Thank you for having me. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 